Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Boudis. On today's show, I brought on a special guest, Dave, the Laundromat Millionaire Men's. Dave's the founder and owner of Queen City Laundry chain of laundromats. He's passionate about teaching others how to obtain financial freedom through laundromats and is also the author of the book, Laundromat Millionaire, The Grit to Elevate an Industry. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I'm excited to have this conversation. Great. Yeah, so so am I. We've done a bunch of shows recently on different alternative asset classes, but we haven't done one on laundromats. So I'm excited to talk about that. I know everyone these days, they're looking for alternative assets. They're looking for different ways to run a business or start a business. Maybe you can start off with a little bit of background on how you decided to go into the laundromat space that they were right for you and how'd you go about starting or acquiring your first one? Yeah, well, I tell people it was dumb luck. I mean, who doesn't grow up dreaming of owning a laundromat, right? (laughs) No, the truth is, as a little kid, I always wanted to own my own business and I was always fascinated by entrepreneurship and business, but I didn't really care what the product was. I just was fascinated by all things business. And so when I got older, I, you know, decided to chase that dream in my, uh, I guess, right around the age of 30. And uh, I worked in corporate America for a while, realized it wasn't for me, as I suspected, and uh, decided to do something about it. So for several years, I just looked at everything I could possibly uh, imagine, businesses for sale, businesses to start, things like that. I didn't have a whole lot of money. I was a very middle class, married, had three young kids at home. And so my risk profile was decent, but I had to make sure I could take care of my family. So I knew I would need to keep my full-time job for at least a period of time with whatever business I ran because we didn't have a ton of money to start out. That kind of led me to all these different paths. And I eventually ended up in the laundromat industry. And what happened is I was searching for businesses for sale on Craigslist, believe it or not, and found a local laundromat just a couple miles from my house. And it was a a rundown mess, as most laundromats are. And so the first thing I did is I said, well, I don't know this industry real well, but I do know the laws of supply and demand. So let me research the market and the community I lived in. I'd lived in that area for about 20 years at that point. And what I did is I researched all the laundromats within a 20-mile radius of this store. And all of them were in as bad a shape as this one. And I thought, well, man, this community is thriving. It's growing. I know my community. And I don't know a whole lot about the business, but somebody has to be serving this market. It doesn't seem like anyone is. And so that, along with doing a little bit of due diligence on the location in the store, finding a local equipment distributor who ended up kind of evolving into sort of a mentor for me, that was enough for me to take the plunge. And so I bought this $85,000 laundromat that was losing money when I bought it. And it was just in terrible state of disrepair. And I just felt like if I fixed it up and made it nicer and reinvested in the business, that over time I should capture the lion's share of the market in that area just because nobody else was doing it. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. Uh, I don't know, within four or five months, I had the store profitable. Wasn't making a lot of money, but a little bit. And I kind of caught the bug because once again, I was doing this kind of as what they call a side hustle. Uh, I was doing it in addition to my full-time job. And uh, I just realized at that point, man, if I can do this in a short period of time, 
imagine what I could do if I could get a few more locations. You know, I could leave my full-time job and do this for a living and support my family. And so that's when I really, what I call caught the laundromat bug. And I realized how great of a business this is, how misunderstood it is. And here we are 12 years later. I now own, you know, four locations. I own a commercial property that a couple of my stores are in. We've launched a pretty robust pickup and delivery business. And the reason the title of my book, Laundromat Millionaire, is there is it's a teaching memoir. But the truth is, in that window that I just described for you real quickly, me and my wife went from a net worth of about $50,000, and eight years later, we were multimillionaires. Now, it wasn't quite as easy as I just made it out to be, (laughs) but the fact of the matter is that's the numbers, and that's what really happened. There's a whole lot more we can get into in there, but what I learned in that time frame is that I, I believe to this day that laundromats are one of the most misunderstood and one of the best small businesses in America. And that's why I wrote my book is just to kind of teach what I call Main Street, the people that outside the industry to teach them um, how great of a business this is if you approach it the right way. And so now I'm pretty passionate about it. Yeah, I think I read at one point, and maybe this was years ago, that there are more millionaires in this country from laundromats and dry cleaners than like almost any other business out there. Really? Well, I, I will tell you this, as I got into the industry, one of the things it took me years as I, you know, networked and built relationships. But one of the things I learned is there's there's a lot of people that have done really well for themselves in this industry. And while they're good people, most of them are totally fine with the mainstream idea that the laundromat business isn't really a business. You know, a lot of people kind of look at it, it's kind of disrespectful and, oh, you have to serve the bottom of society, which isn't true. And, you know, it's basically like having a bubblegum machine or a vending route, if you will. And there are people that run their businesses that way. So I'm not saying that isn't a business model. What I evolved to was what I call the top of the industry. I networked, met a lot of wonderful people, learned from them over, you know, once again, the last 12 years. And I evolved from what I call the bottom of the industry to what I now call the top of the industry. It's a whole different world up there. It's a very complex business. And the thing that I love about it is when done well, you can really change a community. My laundromats, as an example, all of them were in terrible locations. The communities weren't being served well at all. Yes, we invested heavily in those businesses, and I talked about the rewards we now get from that. But the fact of the matter is every one of those communities are drastically changed because a lot of people don't realize that a laundromat is a vital community resource. It's not just another pizza shop. It's a vital resource. And I estimate, and this is just anecdotal, but I estimate that 75 to 80% of the laundromats in this country are in pretty bad shape. And so what I kind of figured out real quickly is, man, you put those two things together and it just kind of screams opportunity. All I've ever asked for in life is an opportunity. <laughs> Maybe we can kind of go through that, you know, someone starting it. And I know you mentioned the first one you bought was 85000 and it looks sounds like you put some work into it. Does someone need all that in cash or is there the ability to finance or borrow to acquire and let's say if the laundromat was in bad shape to kind of get it back up to running better? Yeah, it depends on how you enter the industry. I mean, there's fairly sophisticated entrepreneurs and business owners that come into the industry and they really, you know, they have significant capital, they have great credit, they have a high level of business acumen and they can come in and do some amazing things and build multi-million dollar operations very quickly. That's the top of the industry. But, you know, what I said is I kind of evolved through the different models in the industry. The beauty of the industry is it's actually fairly simple to get into. Um, And I'm an example of that, too. I mean, I started with, once again, I think I had about $30,000 cash and my net worth was about $50,000 total. We didn't have good credit, but short of that, we were, that was really all we had. 
So yeah, it's a highly leverageable business. And the reason why is it's mostly infrastructure. You know, it's hard to borrow money in a lot of situations for a payroll or build out in a, in a commercial space or something like that. Not too many lenders want to lend money for those things, but they will almost always lend money for capital, for equipment. And our business is so capital intensive. So mm-hmm. a lot of laundromat owners say every washer and every dryer in my store is like an employee, but they don't call in sick. And then I remind them, well, they do break down. That's kind of the same thing as calling in sick. But yeah, the uh, the idea that this is a passive business is not accurate. That's not the case. But it is a very flexible business. That's the word I prefer to use and to teach people. Because the beauty of it is there's always things to do in the business. But we as the business owners and operators, we get to pretty much, for the most part, choose when we do those things. If you have 40 washers in your store and two of them break down, I mean, you don't have to leave your son's birthday party to go fix them. They'll be there tomorrow. Right. But you got to fix them eventually. Otherwise, you end up in a really bad place. But yeah, it's a pretty highly leverageable business. The only exception to that really is if you just came into the industry and bought just a turnkey business. So if you came in and like bought one of my stores today, which are very nice, that case, you're buying an existing operation without a lot of upside. And so in that case, as lenders, are you're going to usually want between 30 and 35% cash into the project. So if you're coming in and buying a $600,000 store, you're going to need a few hundred thousand dollars in cash. But if you do it like I did it, you kind of buy it on the down low, buy a great location. And, you know, over time, what we did is I didn't mention to you the process, but me and my wife kept our full-time jobs and we took every penny the business made for the next five years and reinvested it back in the business. And we used leverage as part of that too, but we also took the cash flow and we're always just trying to find sometimes big, sometimes little ways to improve the business. The beauty of our business is there's a lot of different ways to get into the industry and it doesn't require a lot of cash, but it does require the other side of that, which is the sweat equity and those types of things too. So you you mentioned that it's it's not really a passive business and that both you and your wife were working corporate America full-time jobs. How did you do it? Did you hire someone to run the laundromats? Did they not need someone there all the time and you can kind of go as needed to do whatever needed to be done? Yeah, that's that's one of the beauties of the business is unlike a lot of businesses, you can get away with not always having someone there. And that's one of the business models. We've evolved to the other side of the industry and now we're fully attended. So we always have staff on duty. We have managers. We have general managers that handle the payroll and the scheduling and all those things. But when we started out, the business we bought had no employees. It just had equipment and a a lease is basically all it had. And yeah, we ran the business for several years, um, what they call unattended. And then we evolved to kind of partially attended. So to give you an example, the first four or five months that I described for you, I had to be at work at 7 a.m. So I would get up at 4 a.m. because my stores were open 24 hours. I would go to the laundromat in the morning and I would clean up from the overnight shift and people coming in doing laundry overnight, just straighten up, clean up, things like that. And I would go to work. I would work all day and occasionally I'd get an emergency call. But for the most part, you know, I was at work and everything was okay. I would leave work. I would go straight to the laundromat and I would clean up again from the day. And then I would go home, spend the evening with my family. And then after my kids went to bed, a lot of times I would go back up to the laundromat and clean up again, 10, 11 o'clock at night. That's not a life anyone wants permanently, but I just saw it as kind of a means to an end. And the beauty of that is because we went from this store having most of the equipment out of order. And it was, quite frankly, not very clean. So we got all the equipment working very quickly. We did some minor cosmetic things like putting TVs in and painting and, you know, some serious elbow grease and things like that. And we did all those things while business upticked. And as it did, I just kept kind of taking that money and squirreling it away while I was doing the cleaning. And after three or four months, we hired our first store attendant. 
And they didn't work there all the time. They would come in for a few hours in the morning and a few hours in the evening. And that kept me from having to do that. And so we took that cash flow as it increased and we reinvested it back in a lot of things. But one of the things we did is growing that payroll. As the store got busier, we went from that person being there for two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening to maybe four hours in the morning and four hours in the evening. That evolved to six and six. And then eventually we got to the point where our stores are no longer open 24 hours. Um, they're open 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., but now they're fully staffed. So there's someone always on duty at all times. And the beauty of that is that raises your value proposition, right? People know no business, they know value proposition. That increases that. It kind of increases your competitive advantage. It gives you a market differentiator and you can charge accordingly. So you can charge more for that. So your margins go up. You reinvest that back into equipment. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's kind of the evolution that I went through. And and I, I'll be honest with you, when I started out, I had no idea what I was doing. I have a uh, a life's anthem, if you will, of just trying to be better tomorrow than I was yesterday. I do that as a father. I do that as a husband. And I tried to do that in my business. And I just said, you know, where we are today is where we are. I'm just going to grind like nobody else. And I'm going to try to be better tomorrow than I was yesterday. And sometimes it was fixing that that leaky toilet. And then you eventually grind long enough where you get to the point where you can replace that leaky toilet. And, you know, you paint the walls in the bathroom until you can afford to tile them. And you use paper towels until you can afford a hand dryer. And I know it sounds very fundamentally simple, uh, but that's literally where we started. Um, And so you just do what you got to do. So one of the things I really try to encourage entrepreneurs and business owners and business minded people to do is just that wherever you are. I mean, you have no choice but to start where you are. One of the things I didn't tell you, Mark, is before we bought that first laundromat about four years prior is when I kind of decided I really wanted to be a business owner and me and my wife had no money. And so we drastically cut our lifestyle and we increased our education and we both got raises at work and we kept our lifestyle really low. And for those four years, we saved that $35,000 that I was describing for you. And so we made sacrifices. Um, We weren't living in a box under the bridge or anything like that, but they were just like minor modifications to our life. You know, we made a pretty good living, but yet we were both driving little $3,000 cars that were paid for. Our friends were going out and upgrading their houses as they got raises and we kept our same house. You know, they would go out and get new SUVs and minivans and we were still driving those $3,000 cars. Um, And we didn't want to live that way forever. You know, I don't recommend anyone do that forever as a lifestyle, but it's a means to an end. You know, all we knew is we needed some seed money. And uh, one of the things I didn't tell you, too, is I grew up really poor um, as a young kid in Flint, Michigan. And one of the things that 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 upbringing and that lifestyle taught me is that no one was ever going to hand me anything. So whatever the opposite of entitlement is, that's what I have. <laughs> I am firmly convinced I will never have anything in my life given to me. And so I do that. And I was like, I just looked at my wife and I said, if I want to do this, then we got to make drastic changes and we got to be willing to sacrifice. <laughs> so I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of my story. I'm not saying everybody has to live that same journey. Some people come from very different lifestyles and backgrounds and situations. And, you know, some people have a lot of equity in their home and they could just sell their home, move into an apartment, lease for a few years and use that money as their seed capital. But usually when you find success, there's there's usually a pretty significant amount of sacrifice and delayed gratification somewhere along that journey. It may just not look like mine. As you were building up the um, the laundromat, you said you were reinvesting any you know income from it. Did there come a, a time where you said, "Okay, we've built this up enough, we can quit our corporate jobs," or are you are you still working the corporate jobs? Or yeah, I'll be honest with you. When I first bought the first business, I never dreamed in a million years I could quit my job. I just thought this will be a nice little side business and maybe make us a few thousand dollars a month, which you know at the time 
my uh, I think my house payment was like eleven hundred bucks a month. So I thought, well, if I got a sign business, makes me a few thousand dollars. That's that's a pretty significant lifestyle upgrade. And what happened is that bug is I caught that bug with store number two and three. Then I realized, wow, if I get a couple of these, I could really do something. And so that four year journey where I worked probably from the time I bought my first store until about year four. Um, when we got our third laundromat under contract, I quit my job two weeks before we closed on that third store. And yeah, everything we did to that point, we hadn't taken a penny out of the business. We had reinvested everything, paid down our debt servicing, um, and just you know saved up a nest egg. Because our attitude was pretty simple. When I quit my full-time job, we knew that there wasn't no going back. Like I was jumping off a cliff. Yeah. And so we, we knew that that was the way it was going to be. So about year four is when I quit my job. My wife was a school teacher and I'm more the entrepreneur. She's just a very supportive wife. And so I, I started to add team members and layers of management and things like that. And she could have quit much earlier if she wanted to join me and fill those roles. But she was like, I'd rather be a teacher. You know, I love working with kids than, you know, working in the laundromat. To fast forward today, we have about 40 employees and our payrolls, uh, probably $100,000 a month, maybe more. And just recently, my wife quit her job and kind of retired. She's a bookkeeper by trade. She's She has a degree in accounting. And so she's always done the bookkeeping for the business. She's always done a lot of administrative tasks. And for over a decade, it was in the evenings and weekends, in addition to her full-time career as a school teacher and a mom, by the way. And then recently, we got to the point where she didn't need to do that anymore. Um, so now we both, you know, both of us technically work full time in the business, but this was definitely my baby. So our first goal was to get me to where I could not work 90 to 100 hours a week. And the only way that was going to happen is for me to leave my job and do this full time. The interesting thing is when I got to that point where I could quit my full time job, I was able to work more hours in my businesses, but work less hours total in life. And so we had a better lifestyle balance in our businesses. I started, you know, investing more and more time into at that point. And our business has really just accelerated because at that point we had kind of learned the nuts and bolts of the business and what to do to be successful. And we just needed to do more of that. And as I quit my full-time job and could focus full-time on my staff and my team and my operations and scalability, repeatability, all the things that come with being successful, we just kind of went straight to the moon at that point. I know you mentioned that uh, when you started, you really knew nothing about the laundromat business. Do you recommend someone takes that same path, maybe learns about the laundromat business before they get in, or maybe purchases like a turnkey, or I don't even know, are there laundromat franchises out there? But what what kind of path do you recommend someone who's um, going through it that they start their journey with? Yeah, I think it depends on the person. I mean, I can't imagine personally ever being involved in a franchise, but there are several of them out there. But it's kind of that I'm kind of a control freak and I don't really like other people telling me what to do. And that's, you know, a negative for franchises. Now, for the people that want that structure and they don't want to build processes and procedures, they want them handed to them in a franchise agreement, uh, then that can be a great way to go. So, I mean, I think it depends on the person, your personality. Of course, your capital position has a lot to do with it, too. I didn't have the money to put, you know, half a million dollars into a franchise location. You know, and I wasn't going to be able to borrow that much. And so that just wasn't an option for me. And there's people today that they're really their only option is to do something similar to me. I, I think it just depends on your situation. I think your business acumen has something to do with that, too. There's people that come into the industry that kind of buy a rundown laundromat, but they have a lot of business experience. And a lot of business experience is transferable from industry to industry. Certainly not all, but a lot of it is, let's say, maybe 70 percent. 
And so if you come into this industry and you already know 70% of running successful business, you just got to learn the other 30. One of the things that makes the laundromat business one of the best small businesses in America is that the business acumen across the industry is really low. And it's something I've kind of taken on as like my new passion project, which is why I wrote my book, launched my podcast. I just came out with my first e-course, which teaches people how to get into the industry the right way. Those are things that I'm very passionate about now, what I call elevating my industry. And that's basically two things. One of them is teaching people in the industry how to do things better, because a lot of them just spend so much time fixing toilets and washers and dryers and working in their business that they never take the time to like increase their knowledge and education and read books and listen to podcasts like yours and things like that. And so their education never really goes up. They just are kind of stuck in that hamster wheel of being self-employed. And a lot of people don't understand that if you focus on that education, you can kind of get yourself out of that that whirlwind over time. So I'm trying to create a lot of assets now as part of the Laundromat Millionaire brand. And it kind of started with my book um, to kind of teach people how to get into the industry the right way. And so that's something I'm pretty passionate about. And because my business is now very passive, let me rephrase that. The business isn't passive, but I'm a passive owner. So I've built such an amazing group of people and taught them how to scale and run the business that I'm just the visionary. I'm just the kind of the, you know, the guy at the top that keeps everything on track, but they run the operations and the business from day to day. And what that does is that frees me up to do something else that I'm very passionate about, which is now kind of teaching and helping other people to come in the business and get into it the right way. And then just kind of promote the industry like I'm doing today on your show, just so people understand that this, this is actually a fantastic business. And a lot of those people I talked about earlier that, that are very successful and very wealthy from this business. Almost 100% of them don't want anybody outside the industry to know that. They love the stigma associated with our industry, and they don't want people to know how great of a business it is. So I take a few arrows for that, too. You know, nobody nobody likes me calling attention to how great this business is. But it's just part of my kind of passion project for what I call elevating our industry. I want to attract people to the industry that have a high level of business acumen or are willing to go get it, willing to go learn. Was that a struggle for you? You mentioned you're a passive owner now, but a couple sentences before that, you said you were a control freak. How was that giving up full control to you know all the employees that you have? Yeah, it was an evolution. It was a it was a twelve year evolution. I'm still a work in progress. <laughs> uh, I'm not a micromanager. Like I'm not something that somebody that really wants to control others, and that's how people see usually a control freak. I'm a control freak in a different context, meaning I don't like to be controlled. I like knowing that the world is available to me. And if I wake up tomorrow and I decide I want to paint my walls blue, I can. And if I decide I want to use a different brand equipment, I can. And it's my business. Nobody can tell me what I can and can't do. I have to follow the laws. And of course, my customers get a say in that too. But the fact of the matter is, as long as I'm treating people the right way and at least as long as I'm growing my business, there's no one there to tell me how to run my business. For some people, they want someone like a franchise to tell them how to run their business. They want those systems in place. I've enjoyed the process of learning those things myself, but it has been a struggle because there's not much information out there. And so that's something that I'm a big fan of the independent operator. There's some great franchises in our industry that are doing great things for our industry, but I want people to have options. That's really what it boils down to. I know you mentioned the first one you purchased, and obviously this is for every other one too. You mentioned the due diligence that was involved, and and what what should someone look at in terms of I guess the area? What what are things to look for when someone decides? Maybe they made that decision that they do want to go into laundromat business. How where how should they kind of figure out? Okay, this is a good one to purchase. 
Yeah, the funny thing is it's not a whole lot different than a lot of other businesses. Location is really important. So you want to find a great location with good traffic patterns. More importantly than that, you want to find a good location, meaning you want to be in a thriving community. You don't want to be in a community that's dying, right? I I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and almost everyone in my family worked at the GM factories. Well, when they pulled out of town and went overseas, that whole city died. Those things happen. There's communities that are bustling and growing, and there's ones that are dying. You want to be in one that's that's thriving, first of all. And you want to, once again, look for the laws of supply and demand to be tipped in your favor. Even though our industry is greatly underserved, there are some markets that are overpenetrated. They typically tend to be the, the really high, densely populated areas. So if you go to like downtown Cincinnati, for example, or you know downtown New York or L.A. or Houston, Texas, where there's 10 million people, you're usually going to find a pretty significant laundromat facility on almost every corner. And they can all do pretty well, but that market is probably not much value add there. And so what I recommend people do is, you know, you know, if you live in New York, you can live in New York. It's fine. Maybe go 20 minutes out to the suburbs. Look for a, what I call a submarket and look for the loss of supply and demand where people are underserved. Because what we as business owners and entrepreneurs should be doing is not trying to be that 13th piece of place in town. What we should do is look for a place where there's no pizza places and be like, holy cow, these people don't have pizza. We got to do something about that. And with a vital community resource like a laundromat, it's even more magnified. Those are a couple of just real quick examples. Another really big one is parking. A lot of people start to dissect, you know, the numbers of the business and the data and the ROI and all these things. And they kind of want to back into the business from like an engineering mindset. And that's fine. But I always tell people, like, don't focus too quickly on the numbers and the micro before you focus on the macro. If you get a great location in a law, in a market where the laws of supply and demand are tipped in your favor as a business owner, you have proper parking and you have enough square footage to be able to design and build what I call a modernized laundromat, which is a nice open layout, then you can pretty much do anything you want to do at that point. And then the last thing I'll say is if you are leasing the property, which a lot of people do, especially when they're starting out, you need a long-term lease. Because a laundromat, the infrastructure alone, and I'm not talking equipment, I'm just talking like the size of the water lines, the electric service, the drain facility, things like that, you're usually looking at a solid couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, just if you took a white box space and you're just trying to build out a laundromat facility before you do anything else, you're looking at that type of investment. And once you make that, you can't take it. Right. I mean, you can't just pick up a two-inch water line and walk across the street with it. It doesn't work that way. So when you invest in that location, you need to have a long-term lease. I usually recommend that at a minimum, people look at a 10-year lease with two five-year options. And so you need to block up a 20-year investment. And whether you own it, make sure that the lease is assumable, um, which sometimes is harder than not. But you know, whether you own the business or you sell it to somebody else in seven years, they need to have a long-term lease or the business isn't valuable to them. It's not like a retail store where you can just pick up the clothing racks and go across the street. Probably the best comparison as far as infrastructure would be like a restaurant. They always say once a space is a restaurant, it's probably always going to be a restaurant. Now, it might be a different kind of restaurant, but it's still going to be a restaurant of some type. And that's the case with laundromats. Once it's built out as a laundromat, it's probably always going to be a laundromat. So those are just a couple of the quick, like big macro things that you're looking for. And if you hit those things and you do those things right and you don't overpay for a business or something crazy like that, then all the other stuff, you know, yeah, you'll run into a few bumps and bruises. You'll make some mistakes, but they're all overcomable. Uh, But you buy a laundromat for $300,000 that has two years left on the lease. I mean, (laughs) if you can't renegotiate a lease, you're in trouble. Have you ever bought the property that your laundromat is in or considered buying? 
Yeah, we we currently, as of today, own four laundromats on the east side of Cincinnati. We own the property of three of them. And that wasn't always the case, but that's been, been part of our growth pattern is we got to the point where we realized that we always knew the lease was important, but you can have a long-term lease and all it takes is that property being sold to a new property owner. And if they want to find a hole in that lease and, and yeah. boot you out of there, they'll at a minimum make your life really difficult. Maximum, they'll find a way to get you out of there one way or the other, even if they just litigate you to death. So, you know, once again, I don't say that to scare people off. That's that's a horror story that isn't common. But once again, I don't like being controlled. And so once we got to a place where we had the financial capability to be able to control that, I just made that a priority. So as an example, there's different growth patterns and trajectories in small business. There's some people out there that have been in the business for 10 years and own 30, 40 laundromats. I would much rather own four or five and own the real estate. That's just my personal opinion. It just gives me the stability that I feel comfortable with. I tell all entrepreneurs and business owners, the beauty of small business is nobody gets to tell us what to do. I mean, you get to get up every day and decide what that looks like. Right. You mentioned you have kids. You didn't say how old they are, but are they involved at all in in the business? Um, I have a 23-year-old daughter who worked for us for a few years when she was college age, and now she's married and works somewhere else. Um, I have 11 and 14-year-old boys. They do work in the business, actually. They are on our payroll. They help their mom with some of the filing and bookkeeping and things like that. And then on occasion when they're, you know, obviously school's a priority, but um, on occasion they'll go around with me and help me collect the money at the stores. And if I need them to hand me a screwdriver or something like that, which I don't do a whole lot of that anymore. So they, I mean, they work like two hours a week. So it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely not much, but it's enough for them to understand and learn a work ethic. And they just kind of take some of those smaller tasks off the plate. Our 14-year-old, he we're kind of teaching him to be an entrepreneur. So he actually invested his own money in sticker machines, okay. kids' stickers. That yeah, sure. And he has one of those. He started with one, and he took the money from one, reinvested in the second, third, and now he has sticker machines in all four of our stores. I mean, he's 14-year-old, and he makes like $500 a month profit. We joke all the time in a few years, he's going to be going to high school, driving a BMW, and everybody's going to be convinced that mom and daddy paid for it. We'll be like, nope, we didn't pay for a penny of it. <laughs> Knowing you, he's not going to be driving the BMW. He's going to be scrolling the money away and reinvesting it in something to build the sticker machine into some other kind of empire. That's exactly right. So what's next for you, Dave? Are you going to acquire more laundromats or is there something, some kind of improvements or scalability that you're going to do inside your the existing laundromats that you have? Yeah, the beauty of our business is that I can kind of do both. Um, so we do plan on, you know, finding the right locations. We can kind of, we can kind of cherry pick nowadays, find the perfect locations, uh, you know, make sure we can acquire the real estate ahead of time, build out brand new facilities, which are great long-term investments, even though they're capital intensive. And we'll probably always do that. I mean, I'm 45 years old, so I'm, I'm kind of hopefully in my prime. Um, and so we plan on still doing that. I don't know how many, you know, retail locations we'll get to, but, once we build them and find the right locations, our team is capable of growing and managing them without a whole lot of trouble. So that's not an issue at all. And that's something I'm passionate about. But I'm probably equally passionate about just what I call elevating our industry, uh, just creating more courses. And, you know, I have a podcast under the Laundromat Millionaire name where we just try to teach small business owners how to be successful in small business. And a lot of the audience is laundromat owners, but we don't just always talk about laundromats. Um, I'm sure I have more books in me and things like that. So I'm just trying to always create. Our industry has a really good trade association called the Coin Laundry Association, um, but they're not real big. It's a small association. And so they kind of have limited reach and limited ability. And so I've just kind of taken it upon myself. It's on my heart to kind of what I call give back. 
And so I really just want to kind of give back because a lot of the things we just talked about for the last 30 minutes, they, they were a lot harder <laughs> than they, than they sound. Don't get me wrong. They would have been hard anyways, but they shouldn't have been as hard as they are. And so like perfect example, this course that I've created, it's designed to help people get into the industry the right way. The course is a thousand dollars, which sounds like a lot of money, but I can confidently say after 12 years in the industry that there's probably a six million, six figure value in that. I mean, I've had people come to me and ask me to help them get them out of messes when they've paid $650,000 for a laundromat that was worth $200,000. And they're looking at me six weeks later going, what do I do? Well, it's, it's tough to help people. Um, and it kind of breaks your heart if you have a big heart. And if you care about the industry, you know that that person isn't going to be reinvesting in their business anytime soon because they're just going to be trying to dig out of a $400,000 hole. And so I'm pretty passionate about just making sure people don't make those mistakes. But that's just something that's going to take time. And I'm not the only one. There's other people in our industry that are doing a lot of great things for and with the industry. Those are really the two things that are my focus at this point. Okay. Well, we're just about out of time. Dave, I want to thank you for being on the show. How best can someone reach out to you, find out more information on what you do, and how maybe you can help them on their journey of uh, going in the laundromat industry? Uh, thanks for that, Mark. Yeah, they can reach me at, I'm on LinkedIn, Dave Laundromat Millionaire Men's is my page. Um, on Facebook, the same thing, Dave Laundromat Millionaire Men's. And then our website, laundromatmillionaire.com, and that's spelled laundromat. Um, everybody tries to spell it laundry, Matt, <laughs> uh, but it's laundromatmillionaire.com. And uh, that's where you'll find like my book and like I said, my podcast and things like that too. So if you're interested in getting into really any industry, but specifically mine, um, I just recommend people take their time. Don't be in a big hurry. It's amazing what you can learn in six months. Yeah. Thanks again. And we'll link to all that in the show notes. And thank you everyone for tuning in today. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.